about travel in Japan, travel and guest house accommodation. And I am in Hiroshima. I'm JJ Walsh, and I'm talking with Jeff Osgard in the US right now. Thanks for joining, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, thanks for joining today. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, check out inboundambassador.com. And you can also find me on buymeacoffee.com slash JJ Walsh to get some bonus information and insights from the series. Uh, Jeff, you have a very long and interesting history of setting up travel and really beautiful accommodation in Japan. Uh, can you, you tell us a little bit about how you got started? Um, I got started. Well, we always wanted to have a business. The internet was just getting started, uh, you know, in the early 2000s. I was in Tokyo, or not Tokyo, in Kyoto one time, and there was this bus that showed up at, I think, in Kakuji or some, some one of the big sites, and all of these people kind of poured out, and um, it was. You know, they seem tired and sad and just kind of not really engaged. I mean, they were in one of the most beautiful places uh, in Kyoto,、uh, but they just didn't have that. So I knew there had to be a better way for people to travel as versus to the large group tours where you're in a bus.、Um, and so we decided to、uh, help out people make reservations at Ryokan throughout Japan. Knowing that that would be a really a good cultural experience for them and that they would truly be engaged with Japan as opposed to just kind of looking at the sites and just kind of going from one spot to one spot with a guide and just being overly tired all the time. So that's you know, how we got going with that.、Um, yeah, and just because you know, staying at a yokan is such a very, very Japanese experience. That you can't do anywhere else. And we just wanted to share with that. It's also some, one of the best places to get food. Then、uh, you know, a few years later, we started doing custom trips and full on private tours. And yeah, that's kind of how we got started. Yeah, that's great.、Um, I read in your profile that you originally started in Hiroshima and,、uh, and then you moved to Osaka after university. Is that right? Basically, my dad was with a、uh, work for Ford and Mazda on a joint venture in Hiroshima. And that's when I first got over there in. Uh, in the late 80s, we, you know, Ford paid for everything and it was really kind of a,、uh, a nice way to get over there. It's what got me started. I then went back to university, finished,、uh, finished my degree in international business, studied some basic Japanese there,、uh, then had some work、uh, in the US, but decided, you know, I really want to get back to Japan. So I packed my bags、uh, and I moved to Osaka. I wanted to go to a place where I've never been. Because I just wanted a really, really fresh start. And since I was at that point living in Chicago, I decided Osaka would be a cool place to go since they're sister cities. And that was、uh, the logic behind that. I also thought going to Osaka would be good because if I really screwed up in Osaka, then I could move to Tokyo and kind of restart myself. Going the other way would be more complicated. But luckily, didn't have to do that. Yeah, great.、Uh, we have a few people have joined us. Thanks for joining, guys. Pilot Mike says, I'll be in Japan in a week or so. Wow.、Uh, nice. Peter has joined from the HAPS team. Thanks for joining, Peter.、Uh, Louise Poppy, Konnichiwa from New Zealand. Thanks, Louise. 
And uh, yeah, it's great to have you guys here. If you have any questions or comments, make sure you add them. So Jeff, one of the things that I, I really love about your business is your sustainable focus. Can you talk a little bit about how you try to run the business in a socially responsible way? Well, travel and destinations can only handle really so many people logically. Uh, you know, before the pandemic, when you would go to like, um, you know, even in Kyoto, there was like a million people in one spot. And it's just, you know, just so many people in that one spot. Now, they're very cool spots, but we want to get people to move out and to go into more, um, you know, more uh, off the beaten path a bit with that. And part of that, you know, part of the reason with that is we had a lot of people going to Shirakaogo, which is this wonderful little area. Um, there's you know only so many of the Minshku there, the Gashotsukuri, which is the A-frame house, um, you know, ends there. And, you know, people were just trampling on it. So we wanted to have it where, you know, the, you know, that people that we're sending there are definitely staying there. They're buying things there. They're going to, uh, the restaurants, you know, for, for lunch there and really, you know, kind of, you know, might, might sound a bit odd, but we wanted them to actually spend money there and leave, you know, when they travel, they leave money there and they go off. And that's been really important for us. We wanted people to, you know, we wanted the people who own the Minshku, who own these amazing buildings to be able to support them and to continue doing that. Uh, and we knew that just but, you know, but boatloads of bus tourists would not uh, make that possible. It just, you know, it'll end up destroying the sites. Um, and that's really, you know, part of it. We also want people, you know, traveling by train is, of course, a given in Japan. So we don't do any large bus tours. We're also working on uh, cycling tours right now, developing those. And just trying to get it so that people can travel even more deeply into Japan without having to go to a place that is accessible by just trains or by just buses. But we didn't want to rent out, you know, cars and trains or cars and buses to be able to do that just because it's, you know, not a great way to travel within Japan. Other places it's okay, but in Japan we just wanted to do that. But a lot of it is protecting, you know, the sites that we have and making sure that people aren't just looking at the sites, uh, but are also, you know, leaving their money there so that the sites yeah. can continue and can, uh, you know, Get get fixed up. Uh, for example, every seventy years or so, the Minshku in Shirakaogo need a new roof, and each new roof is about um, Sanzenmain, uh, about three hundred thousand uh, dollars to do it, and they have to get that done within one day, obviously. Wow. So the whole town kind of gathers together. But even to do that at three hundred thousand dollars, that's the cost of a normal house in a lot of places. Uh, so they have to do that every 70 years. And that's not cheap when they're, you know, they're charging 8,000, 9,000 yen per person per night there. You know, they're still having to don't, you know, bring in a lot of money just to maintain those those buildings. It would be far cheaper for them just to tear down their building and put up a, a standard house there. No, uh, please, be more comfortable for them. Don't do that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. no, we, we exactly. want to support that 100%. Um, but yeah. yeah, you know, you you see a lot of these small businesses in Japan, especially in the travel industry, running on really tiny margins. 
And so uh, agencies like yours, which are setting people up to stay in these areas, not just to go and visit, take a quick photo and leave, yeah. um, you're creating opportunities for them to support local people, local economy more. And exactly. I think one of, one of the really nice things that you're doing is using a lot of local guides from that yeah. area who have a great network within the community. So they're more likely not only to support local businesses, but also to give the, the customer a deeper experience by engaging the customer, of course, wants to meet local people yeah. and allowing opportunities for them to engage with a wide range of locals, right? Correct, correct. You know, a local tour guide. Now in Japan, in order to become a licensed guide, you have to be licensed for the entire country. They are changing the rules and laws a bit to allow specialty guides, to allow, um, you know, cycling guides, to allow, you know, special guides. But, you know, right now the guides that, that we're using for most of it are licensed throughout the nation. Uh, but we like local guides because they know where the restaurants are. They know where the people are. They know the dialect. They know, you know, everything is, you know. You know, it's like, you know, if you hire me to do a tour in, in the U.S., I can do Detroit and Michigan fairly well. But if you take me to New York, you know, even the Japanese, there's like, I don't know, where, where, where's a good Korean restaurant? Uh, that I actually do know because we went to one in New York. But other than that, I really don't know. So the local guide is really what, you know, is really, really important. Plus, it supports them. It brings the, you know, economy uh, up a bit. Um, and, yeah, yeah. And I think people just really prefer that than than the generalist who's read some script and uh, on the go. And most of our guides are, pr are private guides. So they also are able to make changes on the fly, which is really cool. So if I always tell our clients, you know, it's like if you're going somewhere and you're getting bored, your guide will pay attention to you. We'll look at, you know, when you have that glazed look in your eyes, um, you know, when you've gone to, you know, the 10th beautiful, amazing temple and you're just kind of, you want to go on to something else, um, and they'll make those changes for you on the fly, and the local person can do that. Yeah. The generalists and will just need to stick to a pattern that they know. The local person who's had experience with international visitors can do that. I've, yeah. I've done a lot of um, guide training for Japanese guides who are qualified, but they've only done domestic groups, and they need a little bit of help in understanding yeah. how to shift to catering to international customers, international visitors, Definitely. maybe don't need all of that history speech. <laughs> maybe they need more of the flexibility and what would you like to do today kind of question, right? So yeah, um, and the, uh, yeah. yeah, and that's important. Yeah, another uh, really interesting thing your company is doing is homestays. So yep. it provides uh, more cultural experiences by living with a family. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's mostly in an area uh, just west of Kyoto called Kamioka. Um, years and years ago, we I was introduced to Fukiko there, who's the picture that they can see. And what she does is she brings people into her home and then allows you know shows them around her town which is a very very normal you know japanese rural town but she knows everybody and she understands what it is uh that, that that's interesting you know one of the things that she lets people do is just go for walks in her town go go for walks in the 
um, you know, through the rice fields. She'll also take them around to local artisans. So she knows a, a pottery maker, uh, washi, you know, Japanese paper. She knows um, even a really nice sake brewery there that she took us took me to a few years ago, which was real nice. About two years ago, she invited us over to her house, and she actually went out and caught fresh river unagi eel. Wow. Uh, and then served it to, to us. She brought it to one of her friends to have, have them prepare the uh, unagi for us. But then she, she got it out in our office manager in Japan. Michi just, you know, she was just in heaven, you know, because <laughs> unagi is her favorite meal. Uh, but just that she went out into the river, got these, you know, the fish, and then brought it back, had it prepared all in a very local way. And she showed us how she did it. Uh, and she was very proud, but those sorts of connections allow people, you know, to see, you know, to actually meet Japanese. They're staying in the home, um, and it's a really special opportunity. And we have a few of those, um, mostly in, uh, oh, in uh, Kameoka. But it's also a fairly new type of accommodations that legally it wasn't allowed uh, for a long time because of, you know, requirements of the kitchens, the bathrooms and things like that. Right. Yeah. And I've found it's not for everybody, but the people that do, uh, it really goes well. Uh, my mom took a group of her friends to Japan. She also lived in Hiroshima uh, for about a mm. year. Uh, and so she took her friends there and they're sewers. And Fukiko has a bunch of kimonos and a bunch of, uh, you know, embroidery and things like that so it was really kind of a neat experience for them and they've done other you know we've done other trips and other people there uh and everybody comes back with just these wonderful stories uh and that's, and that's really what makes travel come alive absolutely that's what it's all about you know are you i think we're at a point even before COVID or after COVID, we're at a point where everybody's seen the pictures of the big sites. So, yeah. so do you need to go back home with your camera full of these same pictures that you see all over social media? Probably yeah. not. What you need from travel, and I think what I hear from visitors all the time, is these small stories, these stories yeah. of interaction with locals, learning about the culture, eating the local food, seeing natural sites. These are the yeah. things that stay with people, right? Definitely, definitely. And I always tell people, you know, don't worry about going into a restaurant where they have no English menus or they don't have photos, you know, the worst that can happen is you go in there, you point at something, you take it, you don't like it, but there's a convenience store with onigiri with rice balls, just, you know, down the road a bit, no matter, almost no matter where you are. So you'll always be able to find enough food, but being, you know, going into that restaurant, experimenting, trying something that you might not normally try uh, is really part of the adventure. And it's one reason why I really like uh, Ryokan is that you're served a kaiseki meal or shojin ryori meal, these other, you know unique kind of meals where you don't really get to select what, you, what you're going to get, but it's presented to you. You try it. Oh, that was good. Oh, I didn't really like that. That's okay. That's part of the experiment. You know, you don't have to like everything. You don't have to be, you know, you know, enjoying every little bat last bit but you do have a story to tell absolutely uh, yeah you know one of the funniest stories that we had is this woman was in a ryokan and the chef came in with a like kind of you know a, a cooler basically 
he picked out a live squid. It's kind of a gross story, but he picked out a live squid that, that was moving, you know, not exactly what I would be happy with, but he, you know, he prepared it for her and it ended up getting stuck on the inside of her mouth with one of the suction cups. Oh yeah. Everybody I've told the story makes the same kind of face. They're like, Oh my God. But they're all kind of smiling. Um, and it's just kind of a, a story. I don't know if this woman will ever eat octopus again in her life. Uh, but she has a really wonderful story that I've been able to tell people for the past 15, 20 years. Um, you know, and it's those sorts of things that you can go home and understand, you know, that this is part of what is considered Whoa. good. That's personally, that's I would not, be freaked out, but it's not supposed <laughs> to happen. The chef is, is supposed to either prepare it in a way that that doesn't happen or teach people how to eat it in a way because yeah. that could be dangerous. That's scary. Um, but these, these are be. great travel stories, too, right? Um, yeah, yeah. The Kaiseki Yori is uh, often at the ryokan, so the traditional Japanese inns. And yeah. I love your explanation of it in your online pamphlet talking about how it originally came from the idea of hot rocks. Yeah. Can you tell that story? I love it. I don't remember what was actually okay. written there, to be honest. I just, uh, I just read it so I can tell you. Okay. <laughs> um, so it was kaiseki, meaning the hot rocks that the monks would put in their pockets because yep. they were hungry, and so it would help soothe their hungry stomachs. And I, I'd okay. never read right. that before, and I thought it was really great. Now, of course, kaiseki <laughs> is like a gorgeous, multi-plated meal at most yep. of these Japanese traditional inns. And yep. uh, we talked to uh, Tyler at his ryokan, and they did a workshop for us uh, making mm -hmm. ve vegan kaiseki. But usually... Yeah. Even though it started vegetarian, it usually has fish and meat and local delicacies as well. Um, cool. Vegan kaiseki is more rare, but it is possible at some of the yokai. It is. It you... is. Um, if you go to Mount Koya, Koya-san, uh, they serve uh, shoujin yori, which is all uh, vegan. Most of the time it is purely vegan. They'll use uh, kobudashi instead of the, the fish broth as flavoring. And, you know, you go there and it's just, you know, that's probably my favorite place to have uh, a meal because the food that they give you the, you know, is just fantastic. So I highly recommend uh, Koya-san to people uh, stay at a Shikubo, you know, Shoujin, Shoujushin um, in is really good. And there's a bunch of them out there uh, that are really nice. And that's actually for Japanese guest houses, uh, our Ryokan Reservation, that's one of our more popular destinations uh, that people can go there. Um, and Yokans are starting to become more vegetarian and more vegan friendly. They're starting to realize that, oh, that's what people want. Um, you know, and they're also starting to get more tattoo friendly uh, and realizing that, you know, not everybody with the tattoo is part of the Yakuza, uh, that there are fashion tattoos, that there are people that just, you know, it's, it's, you know, Snoopy on my arm. It's not anything that I want to, you that's know, right. That's right. uh, they it's are different. starting to understand that. Yeah. Uh, just just to point out for people, shukubo is one of the accommodation styles that you offer, and that means to stay at the temple, to stay at yep. the Buddhist temple. And so part of the shukubo experience would be like morning medi meditation as well as meals. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's definitely correct. It's actually one of the highlights um, of that. It usually starts at about six in the morning. So you wake up and everyone's kind of groggy. They're going up there. You watch the monks uh, do their morning, uh, their their ritual. Obviously, you know, you're quiet, you're respectful, the, the whole thing, no photos. Um, you know, and some of them do kind of give permission, but, you know, most don't. Uh, but you just sit down there. It's not a photo op. It's a way just to observe and to realize what the monks uh, are doing uh, in the morning things. And then some of them will actually give you a tour of the Shukubo, um, you know, of the building, the history. And most of them have histories that are well over a thousand years old. Uh, so the buildings are, are newer. They might only be a couple hundred years old. But, you know, you're able to go through there, learn that. And that's a really nice experience. And then after you have that, then you have your breakfast, which is also the vegan shojin yori. Um, you know, breakfast, which is also fantastic. Uh, you know, I've been there a, couple, a few times, stayed there a few times, and it's one of my more favorite, you know, one of my favorite places to, to go. Yeah, it's really nice. That's so nice. I think to have that kind of experience in Japan, um, where you can be at peace and, and feel the yeah. quiet. And most people fly into Tokyo or Osaka, the big cities, right? And then yeah. going out to Koyasan or somewhere so beautifully natural. And then yeah. at this kind of Buddhist temple where you can really concentrate on your thoughts and meditation and mindfulness. And then uh, mm. I think you feel really refreshed. What a great experience. I think so. It's also really nice. Once all the day tour buses go away, it all empties out and it's only the people staying there. And for that, you know, going, there's a really nice cemetery there called Okno Inn uh, and going for an evening walk there or going, there's also some monks that offer some tours of that area. Uh, and will give you the, the history or a bit of the legends that, that, that are there, the Shinwa. Um, and that's just a, a wonderful way, but I really love, same thing with Shirakawago. Once all the day tourists go away, then you have it all to yourself because it is limited with how many people can stay there just because that's how many buildings are, are available. And I really like that in Japan, that there's really a conscious effort not to build in certain areas, not to build these mega hotels, um, that are just going to end up destroying the whole you know, the whole scene there. And that's really nice. Koyasan is like that Shirakawa, Nakasendo. I think um, we, all we that. see a good combination of good policy from domestic policy as well as international policy. So, for example, uh, Miyajima, which I know is part of your tours in Hiroshima yeah. area, one of the benefits of being listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site is that they weren't allowed to build in a modern high rise kind of way. So it yeah. has preserved that beautiful classic town look. And I think yes. this has been very good for different areas, having that that um, national heritage status, even if yeah. it's a domestic heritage status, it kind of helps to give funding, but also helps to preserve this classic look. And, and we need that because we have yeah. seen areas of Japan that have not had that, and now have huge high rises around areas that really should not have had huge high rises around. Right? Yeah. 
Um, this yeah. is a beautiful area uh, built, rebuilt uh, Ginza Onsen by Kuma Kengo. So can you talk about that? That's gorgeous. That is, um, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not in the daily w work of a lot of these places, so I don't know yeah. have a lot of that. It's mostly our team in Japan, but Ginzan is definitely one of our, one of Japanese guest houses, more popular area. Um, and there, there is a push for what I would call a modern ryokan. And what that is, is there's different companies and different people that are going around and they're purchasing and then revamping uh, ryokans in order to maintain the Japanese aesthetics, which is really important, but also bringing in some modern management styles and that because most of the ryokan are run by uh, Okami, are run by Kami, which are, Okami, sorry, uh, which are just part of the family members uh, who have done that over the years. And they don't really have a lot of shared management systems in place. So a lot of them are not prepared or have, haven't really had a chance to learn how to run a business and learn best practices. So a lot of these modern ryokans are coming up and they're rebuilding them, but maintaining the Japanese aesthetics, adding some soundproofing. Uh, and most of them are really doing a nice job. Some of them are not doing a very good job, but that's like anything. And there's also personal taste involved uh, yeah. with that. Well, I, I think exactly what you're talking about is what Alex Kerr has been trying to promote for yeah. a long time. And I'm yep. showing pictures here from your recommendations to go to the Ia Valley, which of course he helped to establish. Um, so traditional aesthetic, modern comfort. And when he yeah. started promoting this idea, there was a little bit of pushback, but then when he had some places ready in the style, he actually had so much domestic demand. So a yeah. lot of Japanese people wanted to stay in a traditional correct, aesthetic correct. place that was more comfortable. Yeah. So adding yeah. Western style toilets, um, adding insulation, right? Like you and were talking adding about sound beds roofing. and things like that. Yeah. And there's even so that the bridge that you see there isn't truly a vine bridge. It's actually got modern cabling going through it uh, because you don't want to walk across a natural vine bridge. Uh, you know, you do want that safety. Uh, and we are getting a lot of, they're called Waiyoshitsu, which is a half Japanese, a half Western room or a Japanese room with beds is becoming super popular uh, with people. So, yeah. And, you know, there's a number of, you know, Alex Kerr is doing that. You know, he has his uh, area in yeah, Valley and has written a number of books about how we really need to maintain uh, Japanese aesthetics without making every river into a concrete chute, uh, as he pointed out in one of his books. So yeah, it's it's definitely there. And he's done, I think, a number of Machia um, renovations in Kyoto and things like that, which Machia we've had, Machia is a Japanese house, basically, that has been converted. Um, and we've had some good luck with those, you know, in Kyoto and in other places. But we do have a little bit, people want the restaurants around. They don't always want to be in a Japanese neighborhood. Uh, so some of them, we have them more in <laughs> sometimes hotels and sometimes people just like to be in something that they know and they understand, uh, you know, you can't overdo it with culture. Uh, you know, when I went to Greece with my wife for our honeymoon, we had Greek food every day and it was just like, 
it, it ended up being a little bit too much for us. We needed right. some Italian or Chinese food like that. So yeah, no, I mean, you must see this all the time. You have a different level of comfort with Japanese culture and Japanese things. Yeah. Like, like I, after living in Japan for many years, I really yeah. love the machia that have been remodeled that you you allow people to rent out, you know, by night and have it to themselves. Yeah. That's my kind of That's travel. Nice. Definitely, you know, definitely, I love that. But then yeah. you have some people who really dislike the smell of the tatami mat, <laughs> of the restaurant, you know? And then you have yeah. people who just want to be in the city center, have a convenient Western style bed, be, you know, yeah. have the Western breakfast. And we see that a lot in Hiroshima, actually, because people who arrive in Hiroshima have usually been in Japan for about two weeks already. So yeah. they, they have a little bit of Japanese fatigue and yeah. and they're asking where can i just get a burger and you know like i'm i've had like, kind of know. my film <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i don't know why would i know that yeah <laughs> so luckily every even like smaller cities or rural areas in japan usually you can have western comforts as well as yeah. anybody who's really into it can have the traditional experience you must see this with your clients all the time right we do. I've, uh, you know, when we started Japanese guest houses, I was really pushing for traditional yokans. Uh, one of the great things about that, you know, they had to be old wooden structures, and we have a full de definition of what uh, traditional means. But we had one guest staying at this beautiful ryokan um, in Gion, in a really nice area, in a small, quiet street, and they they started yelling at us, like, "What's the difference between this and camping?" Um, and, uh, wow. you know, cause well, the building was drafty, the building was cold, um, yeah. you know, because it was a 150 year old building, not built with modern technology, not building with modern, you know, soundproofing and the whole thing. It's like, you know, that's just part of, of the charm of it. So we decided that what we're going to do is we categorize each of our ryokans into the category. So people know what they're going to get. Um, and we found that people really like the concept of a traditional ryokan, but they want the full, you know, comforts of modern, uh, you know, modern technology. So that's where the modern ryokan comes in, the re refurbished, um, you know, ryokan come into, into light. And we think everybody should spend at least one or two nights at a ryokan, have the kaiseki meal, you know, try the hot springs, uh, the onsen, you know, try a Japanese bath. Uh, but we've also found that, in, you know, most of the um, people that we deal with want a private hot spring bath, outdoor hot spring bath. Uh, oh, okay. And so we make those arrangements. They're not quite ready for it. Personally, the private baths are a bit too small. I like, you know, when I'm going to a hot spring, I want something, you know, <laughs> you know that, that, that's going to be large. There's a bunch of different baths around. Uh, yeah. There's some people to talk to, and that's what I really like. But our, you know, our clients are uh, not necessarily me. They haven't lived in Japan for many years, and they just don't know. You know that, that that's part of the, the the fun of it, and that's okay too. We don't, you know, we want them to enjoy Japan in the way that's going to be fun for them. That's going to give them the stories that that they're going to uh, want to share with people. 
Yeah, I can absolutely understand that. Uh, I love, you know, now I'm more accustomed to going to the public onsen bath, having the changing room with everybody together, all women. Yeah. It is gender specific. Um, but getting in the bath together, it, you know, it is a big hurdle, I think, for Americans or hmm. a lot of Westerners. I think Europeans maybe are more comfortable with public nudity. Yeah. <laughs> um, but having having your own private bath in next to your room, oh my gosh, what a luxury. Yeah. You know, often especially if the views are smaller. nice. Yeah. yeah. Especially if, if, smaller, if the views are nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, for me, you know, when I first started, when I first moved to Japan, you know, private hot spring baths were definitely not within budget uh, for that. And it just, you know, just not the way that things were done. But that was some, you know, 20 some odd, 30 years ago. So that was, you know, the, the way you did it. This is a hot spring bath. Okay, cool. Uh, and you go out and, you know, you watch the snow fall around you and you just enjoy you know, all of that. But yeah, ha having it private, I think would be nice. A lot of honeymooners are looking for that. Right. Um, and so they they want something romantic. And I'm always like, well, how about this? And they're like, yeah, that'd be really cool. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Um, and they, they I, have a great time. I'm showing here uh, a place that you have Kakuno Date. Is that in Hokkaido in the north? I believe uh, that's in Tohoku. It just looks gorgeous, but really out in the middle of nowhere and uh, <laughs> covered covered in snow, which you have to be quite an adventurer to book that kind of a accommodation, but it looks gorgeous. Anybody yeah. who loves nature. Um, but I have to say, when I took my kids years ago up to Hokkaido, we went to Niseko for the snowboarding and yeah, yeah. they love snowboarding. And their favorite part of that trip, besides the actual being on the the slopes was staying in the Western style accommodation, which was a lot warmer than yeah. our house in Hiroshima, you know, inside. So it was yeah. a lot of Australian uh, businesses have opened there. They made really comfortable yeah. Western style, like loft houses and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, even, even for us who are very, you know, comfortable in Japan, creature comforts right like when you want to yeah. be warm you want to have like things you're familiar with it makes sense yeah yeah it, it does it does and those sorts of places especially when you're skiing you're not really there for a cultural experience you're there for skiing for snow uh for then recuperating uh but after a day of skiing there's really nothing better than a nice hot spring bath oh yeah <laughs> you know you just soak away all those Absolutely. Things. And then going into the bath clean is also because I've gone to ski resorts, you know, in Vail and all that. And they have the hot tub and it's always like there's always this like bubbly film on the side because <laughs> people aren't exactly clean. Oh, so right? you won't see that in Japan, luckily. You won't see that in Japan. No, no you go in and, clean. Everybody yeah. does. And it's so much better. One of, one of the things I really like about your your tour, your travel company and your guest houses is you really have options from the very top of Hokkaido all yeah. the way down to Okinawa. It, it yeah. must be hard to manage such a diverse area of Japan with so many different cultures and types of uh, services and products, but it's so nice to see that well, you're you. helping travelers to spread out, not just yeah. go to the major cities. I love that. Yeah. Well, I have a really good team behind me. 
Uh, it's not just me doing it, and that's why I don't know all of the, the photos or all of the areas. My team in Japan uh, are fantastic. They, we deal with people. One of the things that sets us apart is, but you know, with Japanese guest houses, uh, is we personally respond to everybody's email. So if somebody has like they're worried about something, they'll ask a question, they'll get an answer. So we've, you know, we've had people. Well, I have a small tattoo on my arm. Is that going to be okay? And I'm like. You know, and we basically say, well, technically, you're not supposed to uh, just be very careful with it. You know, here's a hot spring that Yokan uh, would do that. And you kind of hint around that, you know, if, if you cover it and if you're not, you know, doing anything, you should be fine. We also generally let the Yokans know. So, like, if you're vegan, we'll let them know, okay, th this person does not eat meat. They don't want any, any animal products. And they'll say, okay, we'll figure that out from them. Or they'll say no. Uh, and we'll let them know that that's just for that Ryokan, they're not able to uh, do that. So how about this other one that, that is able to do it? Uh, as adverse to a, you know, a bit of software that will just say, you know, yes, there, there, there's a room, here's the cost, you want it? And then you get there and you're like, well, I don't eat, you know, this type of food yeah, or I have an allergy to, to this. And we, we make sure that we're taking care of it and answering it's questions. It's just... really hard in Japan. I think um, that must be hard for, for travelers coming from other countries where it's easier to find flexibility in terms of food or, yeah. you know, accommodation. You definitely yeah. want to set that up in advance. That's for sure. Yeah. And we want to set the expectations so that they know uh, what what they're getting, you know, like you're staying in a place along the Nakasendo and Samago or somewhere, uh, and your room will not have a private bath or toilet. They're like, well, why not? It's like, well, it'll, it'll destroy, you know, they could put them in, but they would have to destroy the aesthetics of the building. Uh, and they've chosen not to do that. That's not really what we want. Uh, we want to maintain the aesthetics. And yeah, that means you have to get up, walk down the hallway. The hallway will be cold. And, you know, you do that, but that's also gives you a story and, you know, selling people on the story, make have, changing their mindset so that they see what they're actually getting. The stories that they're getting really is a lot of fun and they, and they better understand that. So yeah, just, yeah. you know, For with sure. offering all of those, it's nice to have a really good team behind you um, and that they're willing to, to do that. I am you know, extremely lucky for that. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, Elizabeth has made a comment from Facebook. Thanks for joining, Elizabeth. She also runs uh, Arigato Food Tours out, okay. of, out of Tokyo and around Japan. Uh, she says, great personal touch is always great. Sounds like you have a wonderful customer service. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, because yeah. it um, is. That's, you know, personal service is important. Uh, it's also why any of the companies that we use to provide service, the company that we use for uh, tea ceremony in Kyoto, it's done in a matia, it's done in a Japanese home. Uh, the tea masters are going to be kimono clad, they're going to speak good English, um, but they're going to know their craft uh, is the most important thing. Uh, even if they don't speak great English, if they know their craft, then you can figure this out. And to me, that's, uh, you know, really important. So we do, we're really hypercritical hyper with our guides and with our service providers uh, to make sure that everything is, you know, real and is done with an authentic heart. Even if it's something as, you know, like an anime tour, we want to make sure that it's authentic, that the person that's doing it loves anime. 
Uh, like for me, I'm not a huge anime fan. So me giving an anime tour, I can memorize something, but that would not be an authentic experience, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things I, I talk with um, guides about too is don't don't be afraid of not knowing everything. Like if you yeah. have a question, you don't know your position as a bilingual, whether you're an international resident or a Japanese tour guide, your position yeah. is a wonderful one in that you can bridge the gap, right? You can ask exactly. questions of local staff. You can you relay their questions and comments across yeah. to people that do know. And then you can learn as well. I think for many guides, coming down to the same level is a really hard thing. <laughs> it right? is, like, yeah. Like they're, they're thinking of themselves as I am an expert. I know all this information, like a professor, right? So I want to teach you and you should listen. You know, there's that kind of idea quite often but the best guides yeah. are the ones that just listen and then add yep. things that are relevant to what the customer is talking about so there exactly. are more and more really good guides in japan yeah. i think and also asking uh asking somebody um you know like if, if you're at a temple you can ask one of the the monks there you know i don't you know they saw this weird thing up on the up on the rafters what is that instead of just making up a story uh that they don't know and that also then creates one more connection to japan so now that now instead of just the you know the guide and and the people they're actually interacting with the monk or interacting with the different people same thing with getting a restaurant recommendation you know you're in an area you see somebody local hey where would be a good place for yakisoba that's what they want um and then you go over and they say that this little shop is great. It's one of the things when I was living in Hiroshima that I really liked. We used to go to the Okonomiyaki shops and never went to the big chain ones. It was always the little mom and pop ones that had, you know, the small woman, you know, like four foot tall woman, you know, making this Okonomiyaki, watching sumo is, you know, and just having that whole, you know, that local neighborhood interaction even though at that point I didn't understand what was going on, it was still a lot of fun. Yeah. And we have these great areas, which I share, you know, in Hiroshima, where you have a whole area just packed yeah. full of lots of different okonomiyaki shops. And any of them will be great. Any of them yeah. will have a great meal, a good experience, and they're all right next to each other. So it's really fun yeah. to walk around and just choose one that has an open seat and go have an adventure exactly. and enjoy yourself. Yeah, but just make sure you tell people to take it off of the uh, the griddle uh, before they try putting it into their mouth because <laughs> Japanese people will eat it directly off the griddle. Well, uh, you know, some people <laughs> like it that way. Some people like it super hot. Yeah, yeah, that... yeah. just warning them so they, they can make a decision. Uh, <laughs> of I, I think is important, right? <laughs> of course. I, I have learned uh, the Japanese phrase cat tongue. I yeah. have a cat tongue, uh, neko yeah. no jita, I think, because neko no shita. I, yeah. right. And I, I would like a plate because I cannot eat it off of the griddle. Like, yeah. like some people can, and they're, they're fine with giving you a plate. You can let it cool off of the griddle, you know, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where the sauce is no longer bubbling. Yeah. That, yeah that's always yeah, an important yeah. thing for me. My wife exactly. on the other hand, just, just sucks no. it in. I, I I'm, I'm with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love I love one of your mottos uh, that you have in your pamphlet about uh, slow paced travel. 
and in-depth travel. And I think this is so important, especially moving forward post-COVID um, yeah. for the future of travel. We need people to invest time in staying a bit longer in rural areas or outside the big cities so yeah. that we can we can travel safely, but also we can have a deeper experience, more meaningful experience, I think. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, that goes along with our sightseeing with your eyes open. And what, what that means is, you know, you're walking around, you're looking around also, because like the manhole covers in Japan, uh, people walk over them all the time, but, you know, they're really cool. They're unique. Uh, seeing the way a, a mother and child interact and watching them do, do something, uh, I think all goes with sightseeing with your eyes open. Sure, you can see the major sights, but then also pay attention to the small things, um, you know, and you can only do that if you are giving yourself enough time to do that. If, you know, and the, you know, the chance meetings, you know, I, one time I was in uh, Kyoto, I think it was the street, it was um, Hanami no Michi, where kind of geisha uh, gather. And there was this little alley and I just kind of peeked down at it. And there was this geisha, or actually a Maiko, coming around the corner, and she was with one of her um, assistants walking down it. And I was able to take some uh, photos of her coming down. Now, I'm not a good photographer, but I was able to do that just by, you know, just the two of them walking down the alleyway before she went around the corner to the main area where there was this whole paparazzi of people rushing in trying to, trying to get a photo of this poor woman. Uh, as she was going off to her her thing. Now, I may have you know gone into her privacy a, a little bit, but because I was keeping my eyes open, because I was paying attention to my surroundings, uh, I was able to find those pictures and to find the uh, you know that situation, which once again gives me a story which is nice. So uh, yeah, slowing down, you know, exploring a bit more deeply. You know one of my favorite things to do is just wander around. Uh, in Japan, and it's wonderful because you're super safe in Japan, in most situations, um, and just wander around making a, you know, a turn. One of my, uh, one of my, a guy I know, uh, his wife does a walking tour, not a walking tour, a walking YouTube channel where she just walks around the neighborhoods. Um, you know, I think it's Two Wheel Cruise is the name of their thing, and she does that with, with just walking. And for me, that's just a great way to experience different things. I love getting lost in, in a new area and just exploring. It's yeah. one reason why I like cycling so much, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, cycling, uh, you can get away from the crowds. I, I love back streets. So if I visit yeah. somewhere busy like Kamakura, usually even the busiest spots, there's only one street or one area that's super busy. And so yeah. if you take the next road, usually it's just as interesting and there's a lot yeah. less people, right? So I think in the future as well, I hope we'll use more technology. Like we have uh, Google right now, it'll tell us yeah. what shops are busy and when is a better time to go with less crowds. 
but why not as you're using your Google walking route, it'll tell you which walking area has more people and you can avoid crowds that way. So I think in the yeah. future as well, we'll see more interplay with uh, use of technology and uh -oh. travel to yeah. help us spread out even at the big sites. You can see them, um, but try to go before you know, just when they open or just before they close instead of the main time when everybody goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, I, the big, yeah. the big thing is missing when the bus tours arrive. Um, and if you can go there, you know, I was in Nara a few years ago with my family. We went to, um, you know, the great Buddha that they had there to Daiji. Um, and then we just, I wanted to go out and walk around. Uh, so I went out behind um and we were looking for ice cream to re-energize my children um and there was it was beautiful back there it was quiet there was no nothing going on my kids you know were getting bored my wife was you know she's japanese so she was getting bored it's like yeah it's just an old street uh but for me it was really cool and there was some really nice um uh, gutters there that were filled with uh coke filled with uh moss uh and it was just you know, I had a great time there. You know, I ate my ice cream, wandered around a bit, uh, and just really enjoyed that. The, the big site that we were going there, you know, the purpose of we were going there was cool. Uh, but I much prefer that. And I definitely want to give people time just to wander around and give them, you know, all of our tours, we include a pocket Wi-Fi device so that they have access to Google Maps. And also let them know that there's there's Google Translate, which you can associate to your camera. And you can point it at kanji and things, and it'll actually give you a rough translation of what it is. Sometimes the translations are, are wrong, or you know, a lot of times they're really funny and goofy, but that's also kind of fun. You're kind of getting an idea of what it is. Yeah. No, that, that service uh, with the photos and translating the photo on the photo, there's a lot of technology now that really opens Japan to a lot of travelers because I think there still is a big linguistic barrier, even though so many people studied English for so many years, um, yeah. communication is still really difficult and most things are still written only in kanji, right? Yeah. 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 And we also, you know, um, yeah. they have they have Skype, so they can call us if they do get into into problems. Also, with our offices in Japan, so yeah, it, it must be hard. Like I noticed on your website as well. Of course, you have the major sites, like you have the the big hits, the bucket list places, like um, places in Kyoto. But you also have yeah. so many wonderful rural areas. So on your plans. You might hit some of those big sites, but you're also hitting some really amazing places that aren't usually on people's travel itinerary. Have yeah. you found uh, it's really important to have the big places as well as the off the beaten track that your customers want a bit of both? Yeah. Most people, you know, they're coming to Japan. It's their one and only trip in Japan because there's so many cool places all around the world to see. Um, and so it is that once in a lifetime trip. And so you have to do Tokyo. You have to wander around Akihabara or you know, Ginza and things like that that we've found. You then, you know, Kyoto is also a must see. And then, you know, then we also like to have at least one or two more unique places. And I try to get them to the best of my ability into, you know, you know, Shuzenji or to Ine or these really, you know, interesting smaller places. And then so you want to wander around a bit in this small town. 
Um, but they, you know, they do follow a similar pattern most of the, most of the time. But we definitely want to get them at least one or two nights in Aoyokan. Uh, get them to Koyasan. Get them to Kameoka, uh, and get them into those places. But yeah, the the musty destinations are musty for a reason. Um, you know, Tokyo is even if you don't like big cities, it's an impressive place. And but we do try to point out the one of the big things about Tokyo is that really interesting mix of modern and traditional things. So you can be, you know, the super modern building, and then right next to it is a 200-year-old temple or a garden or something like that. And, and it's that mix in Tokyo that, that we find interesting. But we do go, you know, Tokyo is, is for modern Japan. Kyoto is traditional Japan. And then something else, something unique. You know, the Seto Naikai, uh, where Hiroshima is, is really an interesting place. There's some really nice things. Shodoshima, we're, get, we're sending people to more often. Um, you know, and then the diff different cycling routes, uh, we're right now working with, um, cycle Shikoku and developing tours of Shikoku, trying to get people, you know, to go in, you know, cause between the main sites, there's always some really cool things, right? So you're, you know, and the only way to get there is a mode of transportation. That's a little bit slower and a little bit more, you know, a little bit more involved in that. Um, you know, we also have, um, in Shiga Prefecture, we work with a company and they take people around to different artisans that build butsudan. Butsudan are the in-home temples, uh, that people have. And so we, there's the copper maker that they'll go and they'll introduce them to and the, the person who carves the things, um, and really trying to get people to connect up with those, but then also figuring out ways, well, how do we, you know, we can't just go and observe this person. We have to figure out ways where we can pay them for their time, which I think is super important because, you know, if it's just a tourist going to looking at somebody doing something cool, then you're, you're taking some of that person's time, even if you're just observing them or taking away some of their focus, we need to figure ways to support them better so that they can continue to do what they do. And part of that is making sure that part of the money goes to, of the trip goes to them. Yeah. Even even if it's a small souvenir that they're selling, or uh, yeah. maybe a tea ceremony, like I I've been to some areas, uh, for example in Matsue in Shimane, and uh, there was a museum. Now normally I wouldn't go in the museum. Uh, it's a bit yeah. hard work. I think it was about history, not my forte. Um, but they had a beautiful. A tea shop which had yeah. overlooking the rock zen garden and they yeah. had a wagashi maker making fresh oh. wagashi so you could have your matcha you could mix your own yeah. green tea and you could have your japanese sweet which is vegan yeah. and uh, you know everybody can eat it and you can sit yeah. in front of this beautiful rock garden and have this great experience and leave some money for that museum yeah because they're offering a different price point option, a different interest yeah. option for visitors. And so it was full yeah. of domestic visitors as well, not just international. Yeah. And I think yeah. we need to encourage more places to do that because yeah. some of the things they are offering, they're valuable, but it's not really gonna fit with what the visitor wants to do, right? Yeah, yeah. And part of them, a lot of them are the people that are doing that are very generous with their time, are very generous with, you know, what they're doing. 
uh, you know, it's not like they're, you know, they're, you know, super wealthy uh, with all of this, but, you know, as a way to support them, you know, and so, you know, part of the price of the trip could include something like that. Uh, and then figuring out ways to make sure they do. So, you know, whenever we're you know looking at new companies that we're going to partner up with, we also want to make sure that, you know, it's all that, that, you know, there's some, you know, it sounds a little bit crash or kind of weird, but we want to make sure that they're getting paid for what they're doing. Cause I think that that is a fair thing and it's the way to make it more sustainable. Uh, and it's, you know, we've been trying to get the, and once again, it sounds odd. We've been trying to get the uh, Minshku in Chicago to increase their prices uh, because they were before COVID, they were always fully booked, but they, they would look at us as listen, you know, the food that we're giving, the accommodations that we're getting is not worth more. Like, yeah, but you have to think about maintaining these older buildings, these, you know, these traditional ways of doing things, the artisans, the craftsmen who build the buildings have got to figure out ways where they can survive and still study what they're doing and making sure that, that it works out for them. Um, so we haven't had a whole lot of luck with that, but we do push that. And it's not so that we can get more. Uh, it's really so that they can, you know, survive, that they can, you know, continue to offer the services that we think are important. Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder if you could ask them to add a local walking tour of their surrounding area to people as a part of the added value of the extra cost or something that'll feed into their community yeah. a bit. I know that um, at Kamese Ryokan in Nagano, run by Tyler mm -hmm. Lynch, who's been in the series, he talked yeah. about um, adding showers or baths to each room, which they didn't have before, which we talked about, right? And then yeah. also adding walking tours um, yeah. added value, also encouraging them not only to eat at the Ryokan, but also eat at other local restaurants. Oh yeah, so, definitely. So they're not the only one that's benefiting. Um, I think there's a lot of great community collaboration going yep. on, especially with yep. Ryokans. That's wonderful. Yep. Definitely. And, you know, there are some more sharing of techniques of best practices, you know, for managing the inns uh, is happening more. Uh, one of the things with some walking tours is they're working with trying to loosen up the requirements for doing that. So, like, if you wanted to, you know, or if if one of your friends in Hiroshima wanted to just take somebody on a tour of of downtown, you know, they really are not allowed to charge for that uh, and do it in English. Now, they could do it in Japanese. <laughs> right and get get paid for it uh, with that, and so having those specific you know licenses, I think, is really important. There's also uh, a guy I've known for many years in Kyoto who is a geisha expert. Uh, he knew geisha like is you that know, Peter? Really, he's been really. In the series. Peter McIntosh. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. been in the series, yeah. and he yeah. has I was on developed... his first tour. <laughs> oh, awesome. And he has developed these ongoing relationships with the geisha community yep. for many years. And he has had connections to so many people that we've talked to yep. in travel who've been to uh, his performances for the geishas yep. and stuff in Kyoto. So, yeah, he's a great contact. But he is. But I, uh, I, originally, agree. he wasn't allowed yeah. to do it. Uh, yeah. Originally, it was illegal for him to do those tours. But you and know, he had to hire somebody. 
Yeah, it is getting, you know, things are loosening up. It is possible for international residents who are very knowledgeable of an area to take people on tours. You don't have to be a certified tour guide to run tours and get some funding now. So it it is getting a lot easier. It's getting there. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you I know, remember you talking wanna, to Peter. <laughs> you want to protect the integrity of of the people who've gotten the certification, but you oh, also, definitely, definitely. You also want to have the best experience or the yeah. best provider for the customer. So it's a exactly. it's kind of a delicate balance, right? It is. It is, and we're you know for us you know we hire licensed guides of. Uh, you know, for, for those sorts of things. But we also realize that just because you're a licensed guide doesn't mean you're a good guide. Yes. Uh, and so we're very critical on that. And we want to make sure that they are, you know, that they are truly enjoying what what they're doing. Uh, you know, it's, it's like when you're doing interviews, you know, you're laughing. It's clear that you're enjoying, you know, the interviews that, that, that you're doing. And that for us, that passion is something that enjoyment is really, really uh, at the heart of it. Um, and if, you know, our guides don't have that passion, then we just end up not using them again. And we Absolutely. generally have to have them go through some massive interview processes uh, yeah. before to make sure that, that they're, also, they're good. You know, have a trial period and see how they interact with the customers. And then the ones that the customers are raving about, yeah, you're going to keep those, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we yeah. want to make sure that everybody's having a wonderful experience so of that you know, the, the ramp up is, is, is really important. But, uh, you know, Peter has done some amazing things. He knows Geisha, and it's it was really frustrating for him for the first five, ten years of doing it. Yeah. That he was like, you know, kind of sliding in under the radar thing. And yeah. I just thought it was ridiculous. I mean, he's married to a Geisha, I believe, well, still. You know, it's, uh, it's hard you know. <laughs> even for, for Japanese guides who know the area really well, but they haven't gotten the certification and yeah. they don't see the need to get that difficult test right for yeah. all of japan when they only want to do one area yeah so you know they're everything it's getting there yeah, yeah it's, it's getting there it's which better. is nice yeah. yeah but thank you so much for joining today and for sure, talking no problem. About thank you for having me and uh, thank you for doing what you're doing. I think it's really important to have uh, these conversations with people like you who are based abroad, but who are our connection for a lot of visitors yeah. coming to Japan and setting up these tours and working with local people as well yeah. as working with the international customer. I think a lot of um, international customers who want to come to Japan, they would feel a lot more comfortable booking through an agent in their own country where they can well, ask we're actually, questions, right? Yeah. Most of that is done all in Japan. Um, you know, so we do have, you know, we are a licensed travel agency in Japan. Uh, and most of the work that we're doing is is done in Japan, but we have teams of native uh, of English speakers and of Jap- native Japanese speakers uh, in order to provide that you know the you know the whole thing because you know you talk to people in Japan like why do you change your slippers when you go into the bathroom? Yeah, Japanese people is very normal for us. We can you know for people who are not native to Japan, we can explain well because when you're you know Japanese students originally were just basically holes. Uh, you know, in, in the flooring. And so you don't want to track that around into the house. And like, oh, yeah. that makes sense. So. 
such but, angels over. But in in terms of having a base, uh, having a connection in yeah. a country which is feeding a lot of visitors to Japan, I think、yep. there is definite benefit for having there a、is. company like yours, which is on both sides. Is what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you so much. It's great、thank、talking you, with you. Yeah. Nice talking to you, and、uh, you know, get some rest later on today after waking up so early.、Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> Gonna have a a nap later on. No problem. Uh, oh, tomorrow,、good. tomorrow we're talking to another internationally based、uh, guest. Tomorrow, 5 p.m., we're talking with Nick Bradley. He wrote a really great book about a cat in Tokyo, but it's so much more about Japanese culture than than in the title. So that'll be a really fun discussion tomorrow. Thank you, everybody, for joining today and for your comments and questions. Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining from the、Thank、U.S. Thank you. Thanks and, for having、uh, me. I look forward to collaborating with you and talking with you more、Definitely. when when travel resumes sometime in the future. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, have a look at inboundambassador.com. You can also sponsor the work that I'm doing on the YouTube channel, Patreon, buy me a coffee. Coffee or haps. Have a great day.